you can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. What's good, everybody? Welcome back. Another episode here on InsideCarolina.com of the Coast to Coast podcast. We are brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Thanks for being here. I am just Joey Powell, but the two gentlemen with me are the guys that are always the ones bringing the knowledge, bringing the insight, bringing the analysis that you crave. And it's the reason you're here, whether you're watching or listening. Uh, Sheryl McMillan, Sean Moran, real, how you feeling? I'm good, man. Happy to be here and talk uh, after a big UNC win. Yeah, yeah. Sean, how you feeling? Uh, agree. Same, same thing as Sheryl. Yeah, well, that's, well. Uh, I'm glad you guys are here. I'm glad you're feeling well. Glad your spirits are high. There's definitely some positives to talk about. And before we get into that, I want to make sure everybody listening, if you're not already subscribed, please do so. Uh, but also make sure you rate and review us. We really appreciate it. That really helps us. Um, we get kudos from uh, the powers that be if you guys like what we're doing. But more importantly, if you don't like what we're doing, hey, let us know. Um, Sherelle, Sean, and I are all active on InsideCarolina.com. I think we're all pretty reachable on social media, but just let us know. We'd like to make sure that you appreciate what it is that we're giving to you because we like you guys. We think you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, we like you. Um, and while we're there, I was dropped a Stuart Smalley reference, but uh, in the world of comedy, just lost Bob Saget. And, man, RIP to that guy. Um, also, crazy afternoon. It looks like, uh, I don't know what happened in the NFL, but all I can determine is that Florida State is going to be the wild card in the AFC. Um, <laughs> because the last seven hours have just been insane as we record this on a Sunday night. But let's talk about some UNC basketball, which is why most of the folks that are here with us are here. Guys, really a, a kind of a Jekyll and Hyde week. And I don't think the Tar Heels played badly from an execution standpoint against Notre Dame as much as they just looked listless. Uh, Wednesday night, 78-73, a loss against a very, very beatable Notre Dame team. Uh, do you think that's going to come back and hurt them later in the year, Sherelle? Yeah, so... You know, it's one of those where just talking to some people, it felt like that was kind of a regular, you know, kind of road ACC loss that Carolina's had over the last two years. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel as though this year's particular issues, the systemic issues that we've talked about, it didn't feel like, you know, it was it was just that. It felt like, oh, of course, Notre Dame, they're playing UNC. They need a big win at home. They're going to come out and play well. We've seen that you know, countless times over the last 15, yeah. 20, 25 years. Um, the only thing that was similar to the other losses that UNC's had was that the defense was porous. And, um, you know, it's just, it, at times it's kind of baffling trying to figure out what the goal is from the players on the court. I had someone who knows this team well, um, who knows the players well, text me during the game and say, it looks like no one knows what they're doing on defense. It looks like half the team, to use a football example, half the team is in man and half the team is in zone, and guys are just popping up wide open. I mean, Nate Lyshevsky 
had open shot after open shot after <laughs> open shot. It just is it's and you know the thing is people always talk about how players go crazy against UNC and me and Brian Hines have talked about this. It's not that they go crazy against UNC, it's that they're more open usually against UNC, against UNC mm-hmm. and that's why they make the shot. So the only thing I can take away from that game is that um defensively they just have to be locked in at all times and know what they're doing. And then that Caleb Love, uh, really, Armando Baycott is, you know, I think we all agree, kind of the most valuable player, the most important player. But at the same mm-hmm. time, Love is not far behind because the variance in how UNC plays when he plays well versus when he doesn't um, is, is very high. I mean, they, they go from a low floor yeah. to a high ceiling just based upon how he plays. Um, in the first half, he didn't play well. In the second half, um, I think it's something to mark down. We'll see. I don't know if he had a floor burn the entire season, but he got one in the second half against Notre Dame, played really well, and then carried that over to Saturday. So, you know, you hope that maybe the Notre Dame game is what we've been talking about, that seminal moment that the team realizes we got to play hard, you know, the entire 40 minutes to win um, because we don't have the talent to just kind of coast. So we'll see. But, um, you know, the Virginia game following that Notre Dame second half performance was a good start. I love what you said about, uh, and I can't remember who said this on Twitter. So if you're out there, forgive me. I apologize. I'm not claiming this without giving you credit. I just don't remember who said it. But somebody said exactly what you did, that Armando Baycott is the bell cow for this team, but Caleb Love is more so their water level. And, and that's that's where you're really going to be able to tell how this team goes. Um, it's funny, man. I'm obviously not as as connected as you are and sources as you are, but I was also texting with uh, with a former player, and, and the word disinterested came up like I think by the under eight timeout in the first half. And, and I think that's a, that's a great word to use. And, you know, when this team has shown a proclivity to be engaged and play defense like the one you pointed out, and I mentioned this on Inside Carolina Live on Saturday with Tommy Ashley, when Caleb Love got that floor burn, got the steal, got the ball to Armando Baycott, who then went down and set a screen for him to hit uh, a deep three off the cor- off the elbow extended, that's – like that's a five point swing and it's absolutely something that that North Carolina can do if they can stay plugged in and it just it makes you wonder what this team what this staff can do to keep these guys uh engaged Sean from your perspective what do you think was different between uh maybe the the first half of the Notre Dame game segueing into the second half when they made their run and then into uh, after they settled in against Virginia what did you see differently yeah, I mean, I think at the half of Notre Dame, they were, you know, a lot of people felt they were lucky to be down only only four points, uh, given how how both were playing. And, you know, in, in Notre Dame, they got down 13 before the timeout and before they they came back and, and made it a game. But with that, you're exerting so much energy coming back. Uh, even when they went up one, you know, you still don't really have, you don't have any freedom to to make a mistake or, or really miss miss shots, which they they did. Uh, several times down the stretch. So everything is, is amplified at that point in time. Uh, with UVA, I didn't think they played particularly well in that first half until Caleb got going at the end and really had kind of those five, five points in a row. Um, it was a very sluggish effort. They just didn't have Notre Dame picking them apart on offense. Um, you know, <laughs> UVA uh, when, when UVA is ranked in the fifties in defense, you, you know, they're not a great team. Uh, but in that second half, I think you saw really everybody, you know, for the most part clicking on all cylinders from K- 
Caleb Love playing extremely well, Armando putting up Sean May, Bryce Johnson type numbers. And then uh, even Brady Manick uh, really getting going from three, which, you know, going into this game, you know, he would hit one or two, but his percentage was he was struggling over the last three, four games. And it was finally everybody was starting to, you know, play to their potential. Um, the ball was, was moving, uh, you know, oftentimes two, three extra passes than maybe what you would have seen earlier. And it was kind of, you know, Cheryl always talks about from a talent perspective, and it was finally them living up to that talent in the second half. Granted, it was against a, you know, not so great opponent, but at the same time, you got to take what you can get uh, right now. You mentioned it uh, specifically, uh, I think the ball movement uh, against UVA uh, and a 74 to 58 win for the Tar Heels at home. There was some points in the late first half and second half where that ball move, movement needed an NC-17 rating. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> hey, let me go outside and, and smoke a cigarette and relax because this is, this is giving me the vapors, right? Sean, what does it take? Is there one player on the roster that makes a difference in how well this team moves the ball? I think we've discussed before that, that it moves better when Brady Manick is on the floor. But I don't know that it's him because he's not a point guard and he's not always facilitating. Do you see somebody out there that just absolutely makes movement better when the team's trying to reverse the ball from different parts of the floor? I mean, you know, you mentioned Manic, and we've, we kind of talk about this almost, almost every, every episode, but you know, when he does catch the ball, you know, that, that high low with him and Baycott, uh, you know, he has some, some great passes, uh, you know, against BC kind of the swing pass to, so to Walton, you know, as an example. Uh, so we, we know his IQ and that he can move the ball. So it really comes down to the, the two guards, uh, RJ and Caleb. And I think earlier in the season, they were prone to over, over dribble and force shots. Um, you know, I think we did see some of that from, uh, you know, Caleb uh, against Notre Dame. And even though RJ wasn't hitting any shots uh, against UVA, he was moving the ball. Um, and I think, you know, you look at against UVA, nine assists to one turnover for them both mm -hmm. versus, uh, you know, C Caleb on uh, against Notre Dame was zero assists and four turnovers. So I thought both of them, you know, it kind of really depends on if, if they're able to move the ball, and, but at the same time, pick their spots to be aggressive. Uh, you know, I think that, that if we can kind of continue to see an improvement on that front, I think that is, is how, you know, the turnover and assist battle will, will be determined going forward. Sherelle, one of the things I think that fans saw in that game against UVA was you saw everybody in the boat rowing in the same direction. And that direction was towards number five, the big crab cake in the middle, right? And <laughs> After two games, Armando Baycott last week put together 50 points and 38 rebounds. And if he does not get the, the ACC's Player of the Week honors, then I'm going to drive to Greensboro and, uh, and go pantsless until somebody hears my complaints. But, Sherelle, wh what can this team do to make sure that Baycott is still a focal part of the offense? We saw in the second half against Notre Dame where he only got four shots. Absolutely just inexplicable. Um, is it one of those things where they just they need to have certain guys on the floor to facilitate getting him the ball? Is, is do they need to do they need to run certain sets to get him the ball? What is it that is that is making Armando Baycott as effective as he is? Because when he's going, I don't know that anybody can stop him. 
I mean, it's, it's basketball IQ. Like, it's just simple. When you have a guy who's dominating and the other team doesn't have anyone who can stop him, you get him the ball as much as possible. That's what was so frustrating watching them against Notre Dame is because there was, I don't want to say a refusal to give him the ball, but there were opportunities to get it to him and they just didn't take advantage of it. And yeah. it goes back to, Roy Williams always talked about how mental toughness wasn't screaming and yelling and, you know, having a come to Jesus moment and, and shouting and praise, you know, praise breaking. That's not what mental toughness is. Mental toughness is the willingness to do what is necessary to win the game. And in the Notre Dame game, what was necessary to win the game was to keep getting the ball to Baycott and they weren't mm -hmm. able to do that. To, to me, that showed a, a blip in their mental toughness. Saturday was a different story because most possessions, you know, Armando Baycott got a touch. And I think that's the way it should be because everything, all the numbers, and then just the eye test and the way that Carolina wants to play. When Armando Baycott gets a post touch, everything is better. Um, <clears throat> so to me, it just comes down to, to mental toughness. Be tough enough to turn down, you know, that that shot, to turn down that drive, to give the ball to someone like Baycott in the post, and good things will happen. That that's what it comes down to to for me. I don't think it's much of as much of a schematic thing as it is the willingness to keep doing it regardless of, of how it turns out. Because, you know, that, that's the goal is Armando Baycott in the middle, getting the ball. And then we talked about last week, the, the spot up shooting numbers for um, you know, UNC's guards. Um, yeah. And then Manic, you added Manic's ability to pass. When Garcia comes back, he can stretch out the floor as well. So just, I, I just keep saying it over and over. Good things happen when you give him the ball. So that's what I, that's my answer is just, you have to force it. You have to force feed them. I'm sure that uh, the coaching staff has felt this way. I know a lot of our listeners and a lot of Tar Heel fans have felt this way, but it looks so much better for everyone and creates better opportunities for everyone when he gets the ball in the right spot and the offense can then work out from him. Like you said, it's giving guys better spaces to set up. It's giving guys better chance to have kickouts for, you know, for good looking three point shots. Um, all of those things I think are go ahead. Yeah. And if you're like, if you're a willing cutter, I mean, there is ample opportunity yeah. between the space, the way, you know, North Carolina spaces the floor, the shooters it has on the court at all times. And then Baycott, all you have to do is go to the basket. And more than likely, either you're going to get an offensive rebound or you're going to get open for a layup or get fouled mm -hmm. just by making a simple cut to the basket because of the space that is there. So um, mental toughness, just just be strong enough and strong willed enough to know that you need to follow the game plan. And that's what you need to do impose your will instead of allowing them to do so to you. And by the way, uh, I would like to trademark and cop and copyright the moniker, the big crab cake uh, if that has not been done yet. Uh, all credit uh, to Jimmy's famous seafood uh, and to this podcast. Trill sticking with the uh, individual player analysis. Caleb Love has been shooting out of his mind this year when you compare it to last year. Uh, I think you posted something on the inside Carolina.com message boards today about statistically how much better he's shooting uh, the clip of three-pointers that he's hit this year, you know, versus how long it took him to, to get to that number last year. I, is it Caleb's off-season work? Is it that he is benefiting from uh, a, a one-in, four-out offense? Tell us exactly why Caleb is shooting so much better, because I've said to you, I've said it to a lot of people so far, when he takes that step back now, it's almost a layup for him. Talk about that a little bit if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, it's definitely something he works on. Uh, if you go back to clips, over the last couple of years, that's that's one of the moves because um, now guys are all about space creation. How can you create space to be able to get your shot off? And, and if you are not, you know, one of the four or five people on this earth who can get by anyone at any time, then you have to have that in your arsenal. 
So he definitely works on that. But honestly, I think more than anything, it is confidence and it is being believed in. Not saying he wasn't before, but he he definitely feels it more outwardly. And then, um, yeah, just confidence and, and, and being believed in. You know, he knows that he can make those shots. He knows that within the flow of the offense, sometimes those aren't bad shots. Now, in the past, in the flow of the offense, those were bad shots because it was a different offense. Right. So I think that factors in as well. But more than anything, if you had to pick one thing, I just think he knows that he is a better player than he showed last year. Um, and he wanted to come out and prove it. He worked hard and, and now he believes in himself. And so, you know, when that first one goes in, I, I would love to look it up. And I think I said I was going to, but when he makes that that first or second three, I'd love to see what the numbers look like versus when he doesn't because it gets him going downhill and it just turns into an av- not literally downhill, but it becomes an avalanche <laughs> of him, you know, just scoring at will. So um, maybe that's something that our, our readers, you know, if you have time to look up, you know, if Caleb Love is one of one or, or one of two or, or two of three or something like that, look at the numbers versus if he starts O of two or O of three or something like that. And um, I think that might be instructive. So we'll see. I'd also, and we've talked about it here before too, I'd also be interested in the correlation if there is one about how he plays defensively. Um, oh, yeah, Sean, I want to, sure. I want to come to you. Uh, something that I've noticed on Caleb's, uh, Caleb's three point shooting this year, especially with that step back is he's kind of gotten that step. Uh, he's kind of gotten rid of the extra movement. Uh, it looks very in rhythm for him. Um, and it looks like he's able to really create space really quickly. Have you seen anything mechanically from Caleb other than that? Or, or is it that, or is it just, is it like Sherelle says that that plus confidence is what's making him, uh, such a better outside shooter right now. Yeah, I think it's a few few different things. And and one thing just to add on Sherell's point, you know, Caleb did did hit a, it wasn't a three, but I believe he hit his first jumper against Notre Dame. Uh, so I kind of thought, okay, you know, here he yeah. is. But then then it obviously turned into into uh, you know several uh, missed shots after that. But in terms of you know why is he improved? You know, definitely confidence plays a large a large part. Um, I think last year, you know, one thing I always it always seemed he felt very comfortable uh, driving with his left hand and, and pulling up inside the three, three point line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think part of it, you know, it does look like he's gotten a little more arc on his shot, but he probably, you know, he's now comfortable shooting, you know, well beyond NBA range. Um, and I think just with that kind of, whether it's strength or maybe a, a tweak in the shooting motion, um, you know, last year he would, when he would miss, it was, it was all over the place. Um, but now, you know, he's, he's in rhythm and his three point shots, you know, feel similar to that, you know, 15 to 17 foot pull up jumper last year in terms of his release, um, his body control and just kind of the elevation he is getting on his shots. And really the one move, you know, I know we talked about the step back, but also where he goes from left to right in between the legs and then kind of, you know, uses that to, to freeze a defender and, and pull up. I mean, that's a, that's a tough move, but one that he executes and is just very comfortable doing. So the moves he's doing, you know, those are, are pro moves. And, and now he, he kind of has that comfort level and, and just strength uh, where, when he is shooting it from that, that deep. I'm glad you mentioned strength there because both of those moves are the type that physically, if you were stronger in your lower body, those moves are a lot more easy to get, to get off. Um, all right, guys, uh, last question before we, uh, we take a quick break. 16 games left. They've played 15. Shrill, thanks for pointing that out before we started recording. For all intents and purposes, we're at the halfway point. Team's got a week off this week, no games until Saturday. 
which is really weird, especially in the time of COVID. I really thought they would have tried to uh, reschedule a game or two this week, but whatever. Virginia um, Tech is not trying to come to Chapel Hill. Like, let's, not at all. Let's, let's, let's be honest. Call it's okay. it what it is. Yeah, they have no desire. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. I, I'm feeling you there. Um, <laughs> 16 games left at the halfway point. Uh, record being what it is, is this team where you expected them to be, Sean? Oof, that's a <laughs> that's a great question. Um, I would say they're probably where I expected them to be. I didn't expect uh, some of the you know the losses as bad as they they were, but I think you know uh, I think I I thought I thought they'd be a top twenty five team at this point in time. But in mm-hmm. terms of where they're at, I think it you know that there's going to be some early season struggles, definitely kind of assume that um, I thought things would have gelled a little quicker, but at the same time, you have seen such tremendous improvements from a lot of the players, you know, RJ and, and Caleb, uh, and they were still throwing a lot of players into the mix, new coaching staff, new roles. Um, and I think the roles people are starting to kind of figure those out as well yeah. as their identity. And even, you know, even as frustrating as the loss was with, with Notre Dame and some of the execution, you know, I think you're still seeing improvement points. Um, and are they a top 10 team? Definitely not. But I think, you know, and that's why I would love just to see two games this week, just to kind of keep getting them in a rhythm that they there's still a lot of potential for them to, you know, work with right now. So I didn't see the, ba- the bad losses as bad as they were, but I also didn't expect them to be, you know, one one to two losses at this point either. Sherelle, same question. Is the team about where you thought it would be? And I know you're a fan of the the you know, the <laughs> the what is greater than the how. So uh, if you want to go there, you have carte blanche to do so. No, the how's important. I mean the what is more important, but the how is important because I think we we thought, you know, they would be 12 and 3, 11 and 4 right now, something record wise. I think they are what we thought they would be. The issue is the Kentucky and Tennessee games play so large in um, those four losses that it's hard to say, Oh, this team is on schedule or, you know, this team can be good because that's always in the back of your mind. It's like, well, are they going to lay an egg? Like they did those two times against Kentucky and Tennessee. You can forgive the one when you do it twice. I think it's just going to stick with people. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, that goes to your point about, well, what can they do to kind of gain our trust? And I, I still don't, I still don't think there's really anything, honestly, because as well as they played on Saturday and as good um, as they played in the second half and dominating and as good as it felt for the fan base after that loss to Notre Dame, you know, is not at all inconceivable that they come out against Georgia Tech and look sleepy. And get and beat are, at home. Yeah, yeah. And, are, and are down, you know, 32 to 24 at halftime and have to fight their way back, which is something that, um, to Dewey Burke's point in the postgame podcast, they haven't really shown – they can do outside of that six minute stretch against Purdue. They haven't shown an ability to really um, not only fight back, but get over the hump and win one of those games when they're playing at a B level or a C level. Uh, so that is kind of where I'm at. Like the record is what I thought it would be or pretty close, but the team I'm still a little bit iffy on. I thought there would be more cohesion quicker uh, because of how, um, you know, the, the roster was, the rotation was, I thought it would gel a little bit quicker. It's taking a little bit longer than we expected, but the ceiling on this team still hasn't changed. I will say it again. There are not five or six more teams more talented in college top basketball. Top to bottom, yes, Top absolutely. to bottom to North Carolina. And if, you know, I'm not wrong on that one. So people get, <laughs> I, I was, I was going to say, I was going to say like, 
yeah, I could be wrong, but no, I'm not. There's not. And so it's just a matter of that talent playing together consistently. They've shown that they can play together. They've shown they can blow teams out. They've also shown they can get blown out. So they just got to yeah. stop. The, the variance has to stop and they just need to be more consistent and they can do that. You know, all the things that they wanted are on the table. The ACC championship is still on the table. Um, the NCAA tournament is still on the table A run in the NCAA tournament is still on the table. It just, it's going to take consistency to get there. Got to shrink that parabolic effect that they're dealing with right now. And unfortunately, flatten the curve, flatten yes, the curve, flatten the curve y'all. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, having a week off with no games and having guys dealing with concussion and COVID protocols and whatever is not really going to help that. Um, what they probably could do to, if they needed to really lift their spirits would be to go to Johnny t-shirt.com. Um, I think that if they were to check out Johnny t-shirts, uh, array of, of different offerings for UNC gear and memorabilia, uh, plus their prices, it would probably take care of any, kind of dismay, melancholy, what have you about not having a game this week or, you know, not having the, the team at, at full strength. Uh, Johnny T-shirt does that for people. Um, they make you feel like you are at full strength because they get you outfitted in all of the UNC gear and merch that you seek. Check them out, johnnytshirt.com, right there on East Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. Uh, they have the best selection Inside Carolina premium subscribers know you get an extra 10% off. Use the code found on the premium message boards. Go to johnnytshirt.com. Tell them the Coast to Coast sent you. Uh, they would appreciate it, and we would appreciate it. Take another quick break. Let, uh, let the folks come in here and drop some national ads for you. We'll be right back. Talk a little bit of recruiting here on the Coast to Coast podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. Thanks for sticking around want to talk about some guys that may be future Tar Heels or that the program has aspirations of bringing them in to be future Tar Heels, as we always do here on the Coast to Coast on InsideCarolina.com. I'm Joey Powell. With me, as always, Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran. Sean, you got to see a hell of a feat from a UNC commit this week. Talk about Sim Wilter's triple-double. I know you did a write-up on it, but get into that a little bit and kind of let folks know what the eye test tells you. Yeah, I got to watch his game from January 4th against Plainfield, where he, you know, 14 points, 10 assists, 10 rebounds, even three steals and three blocks. So, you know, triple-double in a high school game is, is pretty impressive. Uh, he was actually one assist short just a few days uh, earlier, where he had 13, 9, and 12 against Bergen Catholic, um, who has, you know, one of the top players in the 2024 class in it. So, he had, he's been playing really well over the last uh, last few games, um, you know, went through and he, he did it on on nine shots. I believe I think he, he only missed wow. three. one of them was a was a missed uh, breakaway dunk as well. So, um, you know, he was very patient uh, and he didn't take his first shot until about halfway through the second quarter as well. So you know, would have liked to see him be a little more aggressive, but at the same time uh, he was getting into the paint. Uh, dishing to the dishing to the big guy, hitting open players on the wing from three. 
you know, from a hit two threes in the first half, one of them uh, off the catch and shoot from probably seven to eight feet behind the high school line. Uh, so, I mean, he, that was something that we've seen a few times before in some of the games, but obviously something at this stage to have that, that type of range is impressive. And I think we've talked about it before, but he does have great rotation on his shot. Um, and from, you know, from a ball handling perspective, he did have five turnovers. So I don't want to leave that out, but a lot of them, you know, sometimes he was trying to force things. Other times it was just maybe got a little, uh, you know, a little sloppy uh, when he was trying to push the ball, but, all things that can be corrected. So, you know, with how he's playing, I think, you know, especially as a combo guard, um, you know, there, there's still a lot of improvement for him and a lot, a lot of, a uh, lot of potential for him to grow. So excited to see how that develops over the course of the year. Sean, the first thing I think of, you know, when you talk about a kid getting a triple double, the slides, the ice cube song, um, what is, how is he making a triple double happen? Cause a lot of times when you have a kid that's that talented on a high school team, he doesn't have the cast around him to be able to get 10 buckets for somebody else. Right. Is he just setting them up in really good spots, which is another, uh, you know, added tool for a player like this to have in their toolkit. Uh, does he have some actual other talent alongside of him? How is he getting to, to you know, to 10 assists? Uh, he, he does have a lot of talent around him in terms of a fair amount of other division one players in the starting lineup. Um, and they've got, you know, two bigs that, that can finish, that can finish down low, but, um, you know, he is, he is hitting them in the right spots. Uh, but obviously you need to, you need to convert. I mean, there's a, you know, a few nice passes he did have that either missed shot or, or foul. So his assist rate could have been been higher. Um, but he's, he's not on a team where he's like kind of like a Tyler nickel where he's the, the, the lone, the lone, the lone man on, on the, on the team. Um, so he does have a lot of talent, which once again, I would love to see him be a little bit more aggressive, but he was over, over the holiday break scoring, you know, 25 plus points. So he does have that in him. Um, but with his, you know, with just his, his game, he's able to, you know, at six, five, maybe even taller, he is able to, to grab the defense, you know, come down the lane, grab a defensive board and just push the ball up the court um, and, and find, find, the, find the open man. So with that versatility, he's able to do a lot on and off the ball. And he's able to, you know, similar to, to love, use that wingspan to get steals and get out in transition as well. Yeah. So it was definitely a good day for Sim Wilcher. Shrill, you want to ask a question? Yeah, so Sean, he self-reports now at six five, and he obviously has put on a lot of good weight muscle. How do you think that impacts just what he can do in college or what he can be in college? I mean, I, I think it definitely helps from from his defensive versatility. Um, I mean, we saw it against Notre Dame, or even when UNC went small with kind of you know the one big. Uh, Notre Dame was still able to find those mismatches, especially from kind of the guards or wings in the post. I think that makes him really be able to switch one through three pretty, pretty easily. Uh, in the playing field game, he was the lone player wearing kind of a long sleeve shirt under, <laughs> under his Jersey. So you, you couldn't really see, you know, definitely the, you know, the gains he has made in terms of strength, but um, you know, you can, all you have to do is look at some of his summer highlights and you can see that even just a few months, he's, he's definitely um, looks a lot different. And as long as he isn't losing kind of that quickness and, and shiftiness when he is attacking off the dribble, you know, I think one, it helps with his range on a jump shot. Um, and then two, you know, defensive versatility, just being able to, to guard, you know, different players of different sizes.
Well, we appreciate that uh, that insight, man. Um, Shrill, let's talk a little bit about another uh, U, uh, another UNC prospect, 24 kid. Uh, I mean, he's got to be an absolute beast with a name like Powell, right? Drake Powell, 24 kid, showed up at the Smith Center for the game against Virginia. Tell us a little bit about him and, and what's going on with his recruitment. Uh, yeah, so he's a six six wing from Pittsburgh, so right down the street uh, from the Smith Center. His father, uh, Diedrich Powell, played baseball at UNC in the late 80s. He's got a brother who plays basketball at Lewisburg and a sister who plays volleyball at Virginia Tech. So he's from a very athletic family. He, he himself played um, baseball and wanted to play football, uh, played basketball and ran track. So super athletic family that he's from. Uh, a really good basketball player who I think is still um, realizing his potential. Um, as I said, 6'6", and North Carolina has visited him a couple times. So assistant Jeff Lebo uh, saw him in October, I believe, and then Hubert Davis stopped by a practice in November. So he's gotten some legit UNC attention, and they invited him to the game this past Saturday, which was his first as a UNC recruit. He's also in the class of 2024, used to be teammates with uh, Jaron Stevenson uh, at Northwood. Stevenson's now at C4 at the new high school in Pittsburgh. So there's a little natural rivalry between those two. Um, but yeah, he's, he's one of those Jack of all trades uh, type players, very smart, cerebral, um, but he loves defense, which was, wow. you know, I, it's still shocking. And we wrote in the story not to give too much away, but whenever you ask someone like, Oh, who do you model your game after? It's like, Oh, I'm, I'm a mixture of Tim Duncan, Kobe, Steve Nash, Shaq, uh, KG and Giannis. And you're yeah. like, okay, thanks. That that's really helpful. When we asked a similar question to his dad, he was like, he's been looking at drew holiday tape a lot. And it just threw me off because no one says Drew Holiday. Right. No one ever in the history of the world says Drew Holiday's know. kids don't say Drew Holiday. Right, exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, but what he, he means by that is just, you know, uh, uh, someone who can hit open shots, who's versatile defensively, who moves his feet, who has some ball handling skills and who can pass the ball and rebound from the guard position. So it makes a lot of sense for someone his size to look at Drew Holiday. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting. But from a UNC perspective, there was no, no offer was given. Uh, but he's definitely someone I think they'll watch. And he plays for a team-loaded NC on the Adidas 3 SSB circuit during the summer. All right. Well, Drake Powell may be a jack-of-all-trades, which is great because Joey Powell is just a jack-of-all-asses. Um, Sean, uh, Cam Scott, have you had a chance to see him? Uh, not not as much as I would like. It's been uh, basically some, some highlights. Uh, but given some of the highlights, I just – did see I definitely want to watch watch him a lot more because you know usually I try to stay away from highlights if I haven't seen a guy you know play a full game but mm -hmm. the, those definitely jumped out to me especially how smooth uh, he was and the ability to score already from from different levels which you know you're usually not seeing at, at that age so he's probably at the top of my list in terms of guys I just want to watch watch some more uh, during the high school season yeah so Cam Scott uh, a class of 24 potential visitor. Cheryl, you want to talk a little bit about him? Yeah. So he uh, actually is visiting for the Georgia Tech game this coming Saturday. Uh, we confirmed that with his high school coach and with his parents as well. Um, he's unique because uh, he started playing high school basketball in eighth grade. Um, it's a, a weird situation. Um, but basically he was like player of the year um, <laughs> as a fresh, excuse me. He, he was a, a really, really important as an eighth grader and then player of the year as a freshman. And now as a sophomore, he's kind of the guy um, again, six, five wings, super, super uh, smooth, 
you know, his wingspan's like six nine, so you know he's good defensively or can be good defensively, and he might continue growing. But um, he's got offers from pretty much all of the SEC, um, a lot of uh, ACC schools in the South. Um, just a really good player. As Sean said, smooth is the first thing mm. that comes to mind when you watch him play. Everything just looks like he doesn't have to try. Not saying he's not trying, but it looks like he doesn't have to try. It's kind of effortless. Um, and, I, you know, he's a wing. And right now there's a ton of wings in the 2024 class from North Carolina's kind of footprint. Uh, Sean talked about it. You know, you think Richmond into North Carolina, into mm-hmm. Georgia and South Carolina. You know, Cam Scott is there. We talked about Drake Powell already. Uh, Paul McNeil down in Richmond County, or excuse me, Rockingham County. Um, no, he's from Richmond County, but he but it's in Rockingham. Rockingham. Yes. Yeah, that's Rockingham County's up north somewhere. Rockingham yeah. is not in Rockingham County. Thank <laughs> right, you, right. North Carolina geography. Yeah, yeah. So there's plenty of those guys that they were looking at, but um, you know, it is an opportunity for UNC between Scott and Powell and McNeil to have a really good wing in 2024. And before we uh, before we wrap up, you know, we mentioned this being a week off. I'm sure we'll see some news and notes about recruiting this week. Sherelle, news and notes on any UNC signees or commits that you want to you want to throw out here before we uh, we hit the door. Oh yeah, first off, shout outs to four down linemen. So I'm excited about that on the football side. Uh, for basketball, <laughs> uh, so uh, Tyler Nickel had a career high last week. He had 48 points in in uh, in a win. And then he followed that up with 41 points over the weekend in an overtime win. So, uh, you know, I know people like to talk about level of competition and stuff, but when you put up 89 points in two games, yeah. to me, that says uh, whether you have to be aggressive or not, you are being aggressive. Yeah. And North Carolina needs aggressive. I think that's something that the fan base has talked about for some time. They need guys who come in and want the ball and want to score and who have, you know, just no memory of the last shot at all. And woof. Nickel, woof. Right. Nickel has no memory. So that's a good thing. And um, so he's been playing well. And then Seth Trimble um, had a 41 point game as well. And then followed that up with a 34 point game. I think all the highlights from these are, are posted somewhere on the uh, IC premium message board. So you can check those out. Um, <clears throat> Will Shaver was, is on campus and is at UNC and signed and on the team and practicing and doing all that good stuff. So Did I see him on the bench him. yesterday against Virginia? He was, bu- he was behind the bench. Okay, behind yeah. the bench. All right. I thought I saw him yesterday. Yeah, so, you know, that's invaluable for him. And then Jalen Washington was able to attend the um, Notre Dame game, um, again, UNC Notre Dame game. He lives in Gary, Indiana, which is, you know, pretty short drive. 20 minutes. To, yeah, to South Bend. So um, good for him. You know, glad he was able to get out. Uh, we haven't really caught up with him recently to see how his rehab is going, uh, but we will soon. Awesome. We appreciate the uh, synopses on those different guys. Sean, anything else you want to add before we get out of here today? Um, nope. Just a, a fun fact that UNC is 6-0 and in games with under 70 possessions. Um, I thought that was, Whoa. was interesting just given, uh, you know, all the years of, of how fast we're used to UNC playing. Uh, obviously, they're still playing fast, but um, you know, with UVA, Michigan, and some other games, um, all their losses have been in games over over seventy possessions. It's funny oh. because the announcers haven't caught up yet. Because no, not at all. To the game, they're like, "Oh, you can't let UNC get in transition." They, they like really want to push it. it. <laughs> yeah, and it's like that two big system. They want to make sure they get. I'm like, no, that's not Carolina anymore. That's no. that's not who they are. So Thank, thanks, thanks for just looking at your game notes, guys. Yeah, we appreciate that's it. That's a that's a crazy stat, Sean. No, that's uh, that's that's one of those that uh, I think Steve Kirshner uh, would be proud of that. 
Heck, Freddie Kiger might be proud of that. But um, all right. Well, we appreciate you bringing that to wrap the show today, Sean. We will. What we will do now is anytime North Carolina gets to 70 possessions, we will hopefully they will just take a knee. Um, boys, as always, appreciate what you bring to the show. Appreciate you being here. Uh, you make me better. You want me. You, you make me want to step my game up. So thanks for doing that. Uh, special shout out to John Siegley for producing. Again, if you have not rate and review the show, subscribe, all that good stuff, whether you're watching on YouTube, uh, listening on whatever your podcast app is, uh, we need all that feedback. It helps us make for a better product for you, the consumer. But until next time, this has been the Coast to Coast podcast for Sherelle McMillan, for Sean Moran. I am Joey Powell. We will talk to you next time. Late. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.